For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom?
say one thing and then do another, or do one thing and say another, and that somehow we're able to make it all work. And Paul says, no, you can't fool God. What you plant, that is what you're going to harvest. And now what he's getting at has to do with some assumptions, these assumptions of flesh and spirit that he gets to in verse 8. So look there now, he says this. The one who sows to his own flesh, and you can hear about it, go ahead and underline that, his own flesh, it's a very important phrase. The one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, the spirit will reap life eternal. Now, before I work that out, let me get clarify something. When you and I, most of us, when we hear the words eternal life, the life eternal, we think about heaven, right? Life, like heaven, life after death. Um, that is part of what Paul's talking about here, but that's not everything. When, when the New Testament talks about life eternal, if I were to translate that to you woodenly, in other words, directly literally, it means life of the age. And in the New Testament, that is dealing with, with Jewish hopes of, of life as it was meant to be lived. The life that God always intended for us, does that include eternal life? Does that include not ever dying? Uh, absolutely. We weren't made for that. But it's not just that. It's a theological code word for life as God intended. Now that assumes that we're not in that right now, right? And for some of us in the room, that's weird. We're not Christians, we're really checking this out. Like, I don't, that, that seems strange to me. Uh, I'll explain that more in a second. But the point I want to make is that what Paul is not doing is laying a connection between what we do and how we get to heaven. In other words, like, if you do these good things, you'll get to heaven. Now we undercut everything he's been saying in this book. Everything I've been saying about this book, well, you're going to cut everything. In fact, what Paul's been making the argument about in Galatians over and over, it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus did. Instead, what Paul is doing is he's stating something about the life that we were making, what that life should look like, and what the results are. Now, there's something behind that. He's talking about sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit. Now, if you're new here, that probably sounds to you what you would expect to hear of Christians. Right? Uh, so much flesh, so much spirit. These Christians don't like their body. They don't like the material thing. They like the spiritual side of things. Uh, but, but that's not what he means. But that's hard to understand apart from the story of the Bible. Because you see, in the story the Bible tells, you and I, and every other human that's ever existed, is by nature alienated, separated from God. You're broken. You're broken and unbroken. We're all Now, humanity was always this. But in the beginning, though we were designed to be in a relationship with God, in fact, be in a dependent relationship with God, that we were made for Him, made to find our, our value, our worth, our joy, our satisfaction, all in Him, uh, we, we came to believe that we could trust Him, and that we both needed to and could be independent from Him. And so we turned to Him, we betrayed Him, took the Bible sin. It's not so much rules that we break, as it's a relationship that we break. And when we did that, we became guilty of turning God. We became separated from Him. But we also became what, uh, what the, the reformer Martin Luther called like, bent in on ourselves. And it actually takes us and twists us in on ourselves. We become stuck in our independence. We were made to live for God for others, but now we're focused solely on looking out for number one. So that even the things we did that looked good are tainted by this. Which totally disqualifies us. And it's not what we were made for. Paul called this way of being, this way of, of being bent in on ourselves and looking out for number one, this natural way for us, he calls it the flesh. 
It, it is living in selfish independence that can look very moral. I do good to get good things, whether that's from God, from the community, or whatever. Or it can look very uh, immoral. I do good to get for me. The point is that it's independent of God and thus it is betraying over and over again. But also in this story is the fact that God is not content with us being guilty, not content with us being alienated. Not content with us being broken. And so he promised to make us new. Because we were guilty, we needed a new record. And so God became flesh in Jesus to live the perfectly dependent life that we couldn't in our place. Because we were alienated, God took on flesh in Jesus to bear the weight of our betrayal of him on the cross. <coughs> Friends, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is always the offended one bearing the offense to the offender. Right? Justice is the offender bearing that offense. Forgiveness is always the offended person bearing the offense to the offender. And that's what God did in Jesus. He bore his own justified wrath in our place. And because we were broken and twisted in ourselves, God took on flesh in Jesus to rise again to new life so that we could be remade. He sent his spirit to impart that new life to us. First and foremost, Sovereignly to work in us so that we could believe on Jesus in the first place and then continually form us into Jesus' image for the kind of life that we remain. Now, here's what this happens selling to the flesh means doing what, what comes most naturally to us. It is that which we, 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 we just are by nature. And in fact, the New Testament argued that apart from the work of God, apart from that, the Spirit of God sovereignly moving in us, it is all we are capable of. It is all we can be. But once you have placed your faith in Jesus' help, once you have looked to Him alone to deal with your guilt before God, to answer for your alienation, to heal your brokenness, you are free to sow to the Spirit, to live in your identity as God's renewed humanity, redeemed, restored, and forgiven. So Paul's assumption is, if you haven't been made new, if you are not a Christian, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, the sowing of the Spirit is impossible. But if you are, then it's inevitable. It can be slow, certainly, but it is the Spirit working in us, so if it isn't happening, there's a problem. And this all comes together with the notion of fooling ourselves. You see, what Paul is going to talk about in verse 6, and again in verse 10, are applications of this principle, which is spiritual. And that is going to drive us crazy. Because verses 6 and 10 are talking about very tangible things. In fact, it's going to hit us right where most of us live. That's, that's going to make us want to kind of draw this line of distinction. Well, yeah, I, I have this problem, but, but my spiritual state over here, Paul's not going to let us in This is dealing with what a life redeemed by Jesus should look like. And, and you and I are riddled with self-deception, which is why Paul begins with the very phrase, don't be deceived, don't fool yourselves. And, and the interesting little phrase is, is there in verse 8 when he says, his own flesh. Because you see, you and I can think that we're acceptable to God, uh, maybe because of what we believe, right? You think we're acceptable to God because we believe certain things. And you're thinking to yourself, Rick, I got this, man. I got that whole Jesus, my Lord, Savior thing. I did the six, uh, my sixth grade youth retreat. Like, I did that. It was very emotional. Just as I am, it's being played over and over again. Like, I got that. 
But others of us are thinking, well, no, no, the Christian thing's a little narrow, but, but I mean, I know I'm accepted for God. I do good things. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but, but I do good things. I'm a good guy. I, I accept people, and, and I, I try to do good, and I only fudge on my passions once in a while, but it's, you know, I, I really do all right. But see, at the end of the day, Paul's linking this not necessarily to, to intellectual sense, nor is he linking it to, to things that we do. He's linking it to things that are going on in our hearts. Because at the end of the day, he's talking about the one who shows to his own flesh. Right? Because a life transformed by Jesus, redeemed, restored, forgiven, a life uh, of, of someone trusting in Jesus is meant to be turned outward. It's not to be about our own, it's to be about Others, that's what we are made for. So, some of you were talking, wondering what I'm talking about. Here it is. If your life is characterized by selfishness, what's in it for me? What do I get? How can I take care of me? What will they think of me? How much credit do I get? Or who will, who will see the good that I do? How can I take, how can I protect me? And Paul says, don't be deceived. You want your independence? You're going to have so the flesh, you sow your own flesh. Now, maybe wait a minute. Are you saying that I am I'm made I'm acceptable to God by not being selfish? That somehow if I, if I just live selflessly, then I'm acceptable to God. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that being made acceptable to God by Jesus is visible. It can be visible, and it is made visible by a life that's turned outward towards others. So you're like, I thought it was about faith in Jesus. It is. Listen. If you believe that Jesus has provided for you all that you ever need, He's provided for your status before You don't need to labor for it anymore. He's provided for your satisfaction. You don't need to chase all those things. He's provided for the world to make you. You can hope, but not have to feverishly pursue some kind of utopia. If you believe all that, and you believe that you didn't do anything to get it, means you can't do anything to lose it. Then you don't have to look out for you. You've already been looked out for. But you see, this is what Paul means. Sowing to the flesh is a sign of unbelief. It's a sign of a lack of faith. And so he said, don't fool yourself by thinking that I really have faith and that I, I did that aisle thing in sixth grade all the while sowing to the flesh. Does this mean I'm saying Christians never pursue simple things? No, are you kidding? I'm just going to find Okay, just going to find out you watch me. It's not. Okay, but, but what I am saying is that Christians are given not just the ability, but the desire by the Spirit to repent when things are revealed. Okay? Often, you and I, if you're a Christian, often we go through life and we're like this. We can see things, but we don't see everything. And every once in a while, the Spirit does this. Right? And it shows us something, and it's over here in our lives, and we go, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know what's going on. And the Spirit of God actually doesn't just give us the ability to see that, but the desire to. The desire to repent. The desire to turn from. The desire to seek after Jesus and says this. So we are to not be deceived. <coughs> Now that's the principle. What I want us to remember about that principle before we move on is that it is a spiritual principle that deals with evidence of faith in Christ. Okay? 
Evidence of a transformed life. Super important to you. Now let's look at how he applies this. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one that teaches. Now, let me be honest with you. This is one of those passages in the Bible that's just really awkward for preachers to preach on. Okay? I'm just going to lay that out right there at the beginning. It's, it's a little awkward, uh, but it's in the Bible. Uh, woe to me if I don't preach these things, so i got to preach it. Just, I just want to kind of claim that and name that up front. All right? Um, so the first application is the sharing of good things with the one who teaches the word. That's clear, right? No, of course not. Let me, let me define some stuff. Okay? First, when Paul says teaches the word, that's a very, um, that's a particular phrase. He uses that, every time he uses it, he's not talking about teaching the Bible so much as preaching the gospel. Okay? Not so much about teaching the Bible without preaching the gospel. And let, let me say this aside. You know that those are different, right? You can be in a place where the Bible is taught, but the gospel is not proclaimed. And there is a big difference. Folks will come to me every once in a while and they'll say to me, like, Rick, you know, I'll never forget uh, uh, a conversation with Brother's Pizza not too long ago, about a little over a year ago, in which someone asked me, okay, so what, what should we do? How do we find a good church? And I said, well, first and foremost, you've got to find something to pre- preach the gospel. And I read your question, I'm like, what, what's that? And it wasn't like, it, the, the reason was because it doesn't every church do that. And I said, no. No. You can teach the Bible. You can teach biblical principles for X, Y, and Z and still be left in your sins. Because without the gospel, there's a power for those principles to mean anything. And so, here at this church, the elders of this church have made a, a line in the sand in our own lives and our ministry for this church saying that we will always be a place where the gospel is not just believed, but proclaimed, and not just proclaimed, but prized. Where it will always be treasured. It is always the first thing that we will get, and the last thing is everything. Because it is the good news of Jesus. So he's talking not just about those who teach about it, proclaim the gospel. And secondly, it's nearly unanimous to every scholar that I read that when Paul says good things here, he means financial support. Okay? He's talking about financial support. So on the front of it, Paul is saying that the community needs to financially support the one who teaches the gospel. Now, before you check out, I just need you to stay with me for just a minute. Okay? Because it's easy to think, well, here comes preacher, man. You're going to preach or you're trying to get in my wallet. But you need to understand that, like, this is not just a convenient phrase for preachers to use to try and get it into money. This is something that's consistent in scriptures. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Uh, and he talks about the worker deserving his wages. Paul will repeat this again in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. There, that's just two places. There are a bunch of them. But the, the point is, this is a consistent principle throughout the scriptures. Okay, and let me explain it all. <coughs> community formed by the gospel doesn't just happen. It's not like you're walking down the street one day, you're standing at, 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 at the, the walk sign, reading across the street, and all of a sudden, like, oh, gospel community, like, with all the people standing there with you. It doesn't just happen. Why? Because our hearts are consistently bent back towards ourselves, and not towards the community that, that is willing to be open with one another, to, to confront one another, to bear with one another, all the things we've been hearing about last week. That doesn't just happen by accident. It happens because of the preaching of the gospel and the practice of the gospel. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that when you and I come into a, a worship union, when we become part of a church, we don't come as consumers. Matter of fact, you said it's antithetical to the gospel. You don't come as a consumer. You don't come only to take, but we come to give ourselves. 
And we recognize that this community remains what it is because of those who serve it in the full time capacity. You know, many scholars will say that this verse evidence of vocational ministry in one of the early stages of the life of the church. So, but I also want to say this. No. I am not the only one in this congregation who preaches the gospel. If you are a small leader, a small leader of apprentice, if you help out with our Holy Cross kids during worship with, with our children or our, one of our Holy Cross kids' education teachers, you taught a cross-training class Help with our student ministry or help with uh, vacation Bibles. Can you raise your hand for the time? Please. Very few. Oh, really? I want you to look around. These are all people in, in this congregation who preach the gospel to others. Let me be honest. I am well taken care of by this church. I do this full time. All of these folks do what they do on an voluntary basis in their spare time, and they get no compensation. And so showing your appreciation for them is a sign of the gospel. They need your support as well. I'm sure some of them are like, I don't know if it's simply a 20 effort that I'm doing fine, I'm going to But what I'm saying is maybe it's not like that. Maybe it's simply just a tangible gift to say, thank you for what you do. Because these are the folks that help shape this community into a gospel community. If we're anything, it's because of the gospel being proclaimed. Not just here, not just in this spot, but in those spots, in, in living rooms and they serve in amazing ways. And so we would, we would encourage them in great ways. Uh, just, to, just to show them that they do, you appreciate what they do. Okay? Now, let's look down at verse 10 for all, especially Paul says this. Now, therefore, as we have our opportunity, let us do good to all, especially the household of faith. Now, here's your time this phrase in verse 6. You notice that phrase to do good? The same word that Paul used in verse 6. Now, as you're reading through your interest group, you're like, so what, Rick? He also uses the word good in verse 9. He does, but in Greek, it's a different word. It's a completely different word. Now, there's synonymous, sure, but why did he pick the words he did? Okay? Uh, as we're reading this, he's using the same word. We should assume that the same meaning applies unless we have reason to think otherwise. And we don't. So here's the thing. If that's the case, if they mean the same, what Paul is saying, listen to me, is. Let us financially care for all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Now, have you just heard that? And you're done, right? You check out. You're like, that just happened. He just said that. I'm out. Uh, I know. This is, this is insanely troubling for me, too, but I need you to stick with me because it makes sense. And here's my deal with you. If at the end of this, you think I'm crazy, and you can show in the Bible why I'm crazy, you are free to disregard what I said. Okay? It has to be those two things. <laughs> You have to not only think I'm crazy, but show why I'm crazy in, in the Bible, and then you're free to disregard it. Okay? So let, that's my deal. Let's get started. Let's start with the alcohol this one day. Because Paul begins with this phrase, as we have opportunity. And what we think that means is, as I have ability. Right? That's what we think that means. As, as I have ability, if you hear opportunity, you think, oh, as I have more than enough, then I can do what he's saying. Since we're all Americans, we all know that none of us have more than enough, right? No matter how much we make, it's never more than We don't see that as greedy, unfortunately. We're blind about it. But, but that, that's the case. But that is not what Paul means here. The word that he, that he uses means when the time is right. In other words, when you see the need, when the opportunity presents itself to you, not when you have the ability, when someone else does not. 
then do this. And Paul gives priorities. Talks about all different kind of but then especially he says the household of faith. Now that household language is important because the church throughout throughout the New Testament is considered the family of God. You use family language, right? And I know it's people in the South, and, and people really do call one another brother and sister in the church. Like it does happen. Uh, and so that, that's because it's this family language that the church uses. In fact, one of the signs of the early church that the apostle or that the, the gospel writer Luke records for us in his book of Acts is the second volume. Chapter 4, verse 34, he says that um, it's one of the signs of the gospel work. He says there were no needy among them. He meant the early church. There's no needy among them. He didn't say there were no needy around them, but there was no needy among them. And that was a, that was a direct uh, quote from the, the promises in the Old Testament of what would happen if, if the covenant would be kept faithful. No need to And so Paul's claim is that we are to use our resources to take care of one another's needs. And so there are a couple ways you can do this. Uh, here in this church, here's one easy way. You see it in I'll commit Right? That's easy enough, right? Here's the problem. We're all prideful, and we never let our needs be made. Do we? Some of you are really struggling. You're really suffering in different ways. Some of you physically, some of you materially, uh, some of you emotionally. Please don't let our needs Because you think that's not okay. And so, the other way that that's, that that's, uh, that, that this can be said, and you can fulfill what Paul's talking about, is that sometimes, the way, you know, all of us as individuals don't know what I need, the leadership does whether it's our small group leaders or our session um, that we, we know of the need. So we have this thing in our church called the Mercy Fund. It, it's first and foremost to help us care for the needs of this congregation. I can tell you there are some coming on the horizon that are going to be very large. <coughs> folks who are suffering and struggling in a way that they're a lot of this. And that's what that fund is for. So if you're like, I want to, the Lord's working, I, I see this, I want to provide for those in the household of faith, how do I do that? Uh, and I, try, I even want to try and start doing that consistently as a discipline. You can begin giving the first write down the check, and we can put that in. But it goes beyond that. That to everyone, some of your mouth is all, and all means all, right? This is really hard for us, but it is a reality that we need to hear. As a Christian and as this church, you're part of Holy Cross. We exist. For the flourishing of others. No, 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 yeah, right, that's not a little tagline. Da, da, da. No, no, it's not a tagline. It's from the Bible. Okay. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse, uh, verse 7, uh, the, God is writing a letter to those who have been exiled, those who have been sent into exile, left their homes, and he sent them to Babylon, the, the chief enemy of God, the most evil city that you could ever imagine. And God says, I want you to say this to them. This is where it all ties back to Christianity. It's founded 
If we are Christians, the Spirit has turned us right side out. And, and we can use our individual to meet my individual needs. We can also use our individual to meet my, my little tribal needs. I'm here for me and mine. God says, no, you can turn out. And so even our money should reflect that. Even our finances should reflect that. And today, this very day, if you have an opportunity to with this, the 5K I mentioned earlier, the Young Lives 5K. Right? There are those of us in this church who are, who are running, uh, and we, we, we would love to give you an opportunity to sponsor so that you can do good to all. Okay? But the point is, is that our money should flow freely even outside of ourselves. Now, is this complicated? Is it complex? Yes, it's complicated. Can you just write a check and solve everyone's problems? No. A lot of times we write a check and actually make their problems worse. It has to be done with wisdom. I can't cover all that right now. But the point is this. We are to be Okay, now let me close by talking about this attitude of stewardship. What is it that can create a community around this? Think about that. What is it that can create, can actually do this? See, the hardest thing about this passage is that Paul talks about money and giving it away in verses 6 and 10, and right in the, minute, in the middle of that gives us this principle about our spiritual state. That means he's linking how we use our money with our spiritual state. And that, we hate that. Don't we? We want to talk about like, but Rick, I have my quiet time. And I really have like, a If you're really performing, like, I have my really well. Maybe I'm serving on the worship team. Like, I'm, isn't that a good sign of my spiritual state? Jesus said, let's see what Jesus said. He said, store for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust be not destroyed. Because where your treasure is, where your heart is. That's the kicker, right? Great diagnosis for you. You want to know what it is that you treasure? You want to know what it is that you love? Pop up your little app on your phone, your bank app, or maybe, maybe you still do it with paper. You still, you know, you're in the checkbook. You've got the ledger that you write in the checkbook. Like, oh, I'm doing that. I'm doing the checkbook. That's fine. Just go through there and just see where it is that your money flows in those. Jesus says that's for <clears throat> I can tell you honestly, only the gospel of Jesus can form a people with the kind of generosity we're talking about here. And here's first of all, first of all, the Bible talks everywhere. It's like every, not on every page, but it's on a lot of pages that everything we have is from God. This is hard for us as Americans because we did this, we built this, but trust me, this is amazing. If you were born in 8th century Tibet, you would not be caring about your 401k or your multi-thousand-square-foot house, right? That would be unthinkable. You couldn't even imagine such a thing. And you had no control over where and when you were born. So at the very least, you have to go, where and when I was born is up to God, and God is fully caring. At the very least, you can agree with that, right? Everything we have, according to the Bible, is from God. He gives it to us to steward. That is a fancy word that simply means that you were caring for someone else's possessions and you were to use it in such a way that they would. You were to use it according to how they would do it. Which means that when, we, when it comes to our finances, we, even our finances, we need to be dependent on God. We need to use it towards what He values. The problem is that you and I tend to believe that money is not a tool that can bless, that instead money is a power that can it's not a tool that can bless us. 
That's the power that can save. Here's what I mean. When something goes wrong in our lives, we tend to run away. We don't feel satisfied. We think about money and what it could buy us. We worry incessantly about money, not having enough of it, how we can afford it, what we will do with it, what we have it. We want it to prove our worth, to make us, to make us somebody, to, to satisfy our desires, to, to make the world right. And it can't. It can't. There are people with insane amounts of money who still die of cancer. Insane amounts of money who can't get their marriage straight. People with very little who are somehow able to see those things. But see, when we place our faith in Jesus for those things, to, to be our worth, to, to make us somebody to satisfy our desires, to make the world right, then money can go back to what it was meant to be. Not just power that saves us, but a tool that God gives us to be a blessing to others. That is why Paul sticks this principle right in there. Using our resources to sow to our own flesh, to our own desires, to our own flourishing, instead of for others, is a sign of the gospel that gets to free us. And that our faith might be in fact, might be, still in our stuff and not. Now, let me say one last thing before my voice goes We have this phrase in the church that we use in the evangelical church all the time that we're here to steward our time and our talents and our prayers. Are you doing that? We love alliteration. Christians love alliteration. Time, talent, church. Here's what we generally mean by that. I have to steward my time, or my talent, or my trip. Right? That's what we end up Time, talent, and trip ends up to or one or the other. And as long as I pick one, I'm doing good, right? No. God gives us everything. We are steward all of them. He has given us all so that we can return to depending on all. Or pour all on him. A community set free from self, set free from sin, will use all of them, all of them, including their money, to see others flourish. It will start with those within. But because the gospel always turns us out, it will overflow into the community. The community that we're called. In fact, it must, because God is making all things new, including sin. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are God who has given us all. We don't recognize that. We don't acknowledge that. that you have glory for that. So we want to pause right now and give you glory for that. Ask that you would receive our prayer for giving us all things. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would form this church, form this little community into a group of people who care for one another well. We would make that what was said in the early church true of us as well. Amen. Life in the early church. It wouldn't just stay in, but would come out. Lord, one of the, one of the chief uh, opponents of Christianity in the early centuries of the church wrote, wrote this uh, hard thing saying that the crazy thing about Christians, they not only care for their own world, but for ours as well. And may that be true even of us. Would you form this church into that? For the sake of your name, so that. People would see such radical generosity and have no other place to give credit but to you, to your Son, the Spirit of God working. We ask it all for your glorious sake in the name of our Savior.